You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. We're at season 10, episode 47. Uh, I'm John, I'm your host for this evening, and we've got Donald back on. How are you doing, Donald? I'm doing fine, John. Thanks for having us on again. Pleasure as always. And returning for the first time since I think episode 32. Uh, Scott, how you doing? I'm doing good, you? Yes, good. Aye, keeping busy. Good, good. Out of trouble, as we all are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're pleased to have a guest on as well. First time appearance on the podcast. We've got writer, podcaster, presenter, Daniel Gray. How you doing, Daniel? I'm all right. Thanks for having me on. Aye. No, my debut. Looking, looking forward to it. We've been looking forward to it for a while. Uh, I need to thank Donald for putting me in touch with you. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will take that honour and take it to my grave. <laughs> uh, no, me and obviously Daniel have been through a mutual relationship through a friend, Dave Scott, uh, who joined, I think you know as well. Scott knows as well, I think. Um, and um, it's great to have you on, Daniel, obviously, who... Um, taking time out, obviously. I know you're a busy man, of, um, but it's fantastic to be on the podcast along with us. Uh, I've respected your writing and uh, and obviously your friendship as well now that we've kind of had now over the past couple of years. So great to have you. And last time I saw you, we had the the marvel of free drinks tokens in the Mucklin. Kilmarnock Supporters Club. You can't beat a free drinks token. You can't you? beat a free Remember drinks the, token. Just, yes. can't, you can't beat drink. You can't beat the club. Can you? So we've forgotten yes. um, what we're about. How many Never tokens? Free drinks. Just any drinks will do. Was that free tokens all night? It was indeed. <laughs> I, I I never spent a penny. It's a good night. Apart from when I had to leave uh, and I went across the road to the Black Bull, uh, which is straight across the road from. Ballhound Commander Supporters when it closed because uh, I had about 15 20 minutes to wait for a bus before heading back home. Uh, so I managed, it was the only time I had my wallet out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you were saying as well, before we were on the podcast tonight, Cathy Jameson was there as well, who'd be yeah. on the podcast there on the season. Yeah, uh, likewise on the podcast I do, we had on the Nutmeg podcast a, a couple of years ago. Kathy, I've known Kathy for a long time and she's a fantastic human in any case, but as a football fan and football person, she's just brilliant company. She, that night she brought along these scrapbooks that she'd done when she was a little girl, where she'd cut out all the Kilmarnock players of the great side in the late, late 60s and still had all her little handwriting on it about her favourite players and all this this just true football fan stuff that you, you just know you're among your own that kind of thing and you know the, the sellotape had faded and the glue had faded away and everything had gone a bit yellow but they're, they're just pri- stuff like that's priceless I think yeah I've got you know I've got my own Middlesbrough ones in my, in my cupboards here and it's a lovely thing that I don't think people probably do scrapbooks anymore but it was certainly still a thing in the 90s for me. I remember yeah, that, was, that was the thing that got me as well when she brought that out. It was, I had a wee look at it and I mean, I'm not a command look fan, but um, it was it was really nice to see some somebody that's in the, that's in the public eye, mm. but who still has that touch of humanity and, and mm. being a person. Because when you 
become a politician or you become in the public eye in the area, sometimes it drifts away, obviously, with yourself. But to see Cathy that night um, and bringing that out, just what she produced herself, and to still have it was fantastic. I really mm. I really enjoyed looking at it. Mm. Um, all the pictures. David Snedden, John, who we spoke yeah, about yeah. the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, who sadly passed away, uh, who was a commander icon, was featured prominently. I can remember now, now that I'm thinking of it, he was almost in every single picture that Cathy had that night. Yeah. It's funny because during the first lockdown, I was, I've got this kind of box of trinkets and stuff that I've kept throughout um, throughout my life, and I found um, my own newspaper that I kind of oh, created yeah. myself, and I yeah. stuck photographs in, and I was actually probably a better writer then when I was a kid. I was actually quite impressed with it. The stuff that I was using, and you know, it was uh, it wasn't cringeworthy at all. I actually really enjoyed looking it out. I remember what I used to like doing when I was younger was making up team sheets and making up yeah. own games. So from the '86 World Cup, I was always fascinated. That was the first World Cup I remember watching, and I would only been what maybe seven or eight. And I used to like sit, and the teams would come out, and I'd be like writing down who was in the teams, writing down that was me. I was like hooked making up my own scores and all that for future games and different things like that and going through your wee World Cup book. Remember you get a wee, wee World Cup book and you predicted the draw, who would get to the quarterfinals or semis and you picked your winner. And I uh, didn't know much about football then, but just for some reason went for Argentina and obviously they won it. Well, I remember I remember right, right back when I was just, just getting into football, so 1990 for me, that was my first World Cup. And me and my friend used to write out teams and then play managers, basically. So before you had... Championship manager or sensible world soccer manager, or whatever. We just basically wrote them down, and we'd write down our whole teams and where we would take them in pre-season, what we would do, and things like that. And then we'd do like, and then play by mail. Do you remember that? Mm. Oh God, yes, <laughs> that was in my notes. I loved that. <laughs> play by mail. I still play a kind of version of play by mail, but not. It's a, an online one. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense now. Yeah, and then. You know, it all evolved, and then I got a Commodore and Amiga and Chat Manager and mm. Sense of World of Soccer, and just all kind of. Cause I always said that you know, f- throughout um, my childhood, I wanted to be a football manager before I, a football player. I didn't, <laughs> it honestly didn't bother me. I just wanted to be a manager. I'm just thinking for younger listeners that don't know what play by mail is. Basically, you were like maybe 12 years old and you were getting telephone calls from 45-year-olds wanting to buy your best player. It wouldn't be allowed nowadays. No. <laughs> but that's basically what it was, wasn't it? Yeah, like, um, you would send away with your phone number, your address, and phone, yeah. would send, phone, up, phone you up with, actually, on the telephone. I want yeah. to buy Haji. Sending sending your team off to some fella in Birkenhead, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. With 12, um, a couple of pounds, twelve pence postal order. Yeah, a couple of, or a couple of pound pot coins taped to. Yeah, taped to. Yeah, yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> and your telephone bill was astronomical when you when you cheekily used the phone to phone yeah. somebody else, especially for us up in Scotland, phoning somebody from South End. Um, on a Sunday evening at seven o'clock, <laughs> not realizing obviously that that's not the time actually to phone. Um, and the next thing you're talking to Jonathan, who's twelve. Um, <laughs> was he twelve? Was he twelve? <laughs> yeah, you would have been twelve when you surely would play by me. Was about. You're the ma- you're the manager of Parma. 
in Italy, <laughs> um, and you're looking to sign some Stan Collymore, who at that time probably would have been playing with Southend, uh, and you're looking to sign him. <laughs> Similarly, with the, the nightmare of the itemised phone bill, was I, I used to phone Middlesbrough Club Call on 0898121181. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello, this is John Hendry. You're through to Middlesbrough Club Call. And you used to think, I'm actually speaking to John Hendry here. And uh, God, that was about 50p a minute as well for them to do nine minutes rubbish t- to get to the transfer rumour. Exactly, Daniel. Yeah, the thing that you wanted to get was the very yeah. last thing at the end of... <laughs> big big <laughs> trouble for that one. But I, I worked that one out. Just 312 in uh, Teletext. That was I'm, I'm news in brief. News in brief. Yeah, I still get... Teletext as well. Fuck about wondering what any of that is. I'll be like, who are these bunch of... I get... Last year I was staying in the Premier Inn and I got room 302. I just, oh, yeah, glorious. If I ever get a room in 312 or 302, tremendous. The CFAX suite. I feel I should have my Teletext mug now, like, even yeah. though we're not showing this, but I've got but, a Teletext mug with a score on from the Talbot Air game. To bring it all the way back, Craig, who started this podcast, actually created a wee website for me, for, for my blog, and it was a Teletext website. So every story that I'd written for the last oh, month brilliant. had a page directed to 312... 302 or whatever and just clicked on that and it just it was like old teletext I loved them for that it, it, it does it does sound like old men moaning about the past but some things were better about teletext if you're in front of your telly now on a Saturday and you just instantly want to look at the scores obviously you've got your app on your phone but say you're not a person with an app on a phone there's, yeah. it's really there's a red button stuff that takes forever and it's crap yeah. nothing is as good as the scores and waiting for your team to come around three out of three if you supported yep. Wimbledon yep. or something. Um, but they've, they've never come up with an interface. It's, you know, you go on Sky Sports, you've got Jeff, but you, if your team's not up at that point, you're gonna you're waiting for it to come round again. So. And as you say, if you're of an older generation who doesn't know how to work um, a smartphone or, or their internet, mm. then, you know, my grandpa's sadly passed away a couple of years ago. That would be his problem. He couldn't yeah. find certain information. Probably more horse racing sometimes in the football mm. results. Um, but you couldn't get that because he didn't have he didn't have teletext anymore. And you couldn't play bamboozle, no bamboozle. I know bamboozle. <laughs> that was uh, that was the game to play. I love bamboozle. Was there not thing teletext as well? You'd be reading a story though, and you would get so far, and then it would shift to the next page. You'd be like, yes. oh, you need to go back. You're like, <laughs> and it'd be like one of twenty four, and you'd have to go all the way back. Aye. Sim- similarly, like, parents trying to get a holiday off teletext with twenty four pages. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Hold it. Hold it. Oh, I've missed it. <laughs> Yeah, you could hold it, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's good times, eh? The other thing... Anyway, show out some teletext. The other thing, um, just because we're starting off all nostalgia, I actually made a lot of money, right, during the first lockdown and as subsequently this one as well. Do you remember Corinthians? Yeah, you know, the, the big heads, the, the, yeah. Yeah. And I had thousands, right? I was. Oh, so your picture that you put a on. Huge, yeah, a huge. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And there's still such a demand. I made a pro. Well, I did. I made over a grand in the last lockdown. Yeah. Just by itself. I maybe shouldn't say I'm, that. It's guess the tax man's list. <laughs> I still, yeah, I've still got some burrows. I've got massive macaroni and Gareth Southgate that I, I talk to quite a lot. And um, yeah. Do you polish yeah, massive some... macaroni? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, kiss his head and polish it like, like Fabian Barthez. I may have uh, John Henry. I did have. I don't know. If oh, you have to let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll put, if I'm, your I'll income will be going up. 
I'll, uh, I'll give you, I'll, I'll send you across if I've got any, I'll let you know who I've got. And in, my do- in my daughter's school, it would be Scots Week this week, which obviously I always struggle with trying to read Scots poems. But one of the tasks is to uh, write about a famous Scot. So I've given her the choice of Bernie Slavin or John Henry. And tomorrow's, <laughs> tomorrow's homeschooling will involve YouTube. Why was he great? Questions like that. <laughs> Bernie Slavin, one of your early, early heroes then? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's funny you watch him back now and you realise he never passed the ball, he was always offside <laughs> but just a brilliant finisher, it's a brilliant story, the Bernie Slavin story, that, that you, you might remember that he was top scorer with Albion but he, they wouldn't let him go and he wrote to every club uh, in, in England he actually wanted to go to Celtic, that much was always quite clear with him but he wrote to every club in England, he was a gardener for the Glasgow Corporation at the time and only Borough and Leeds came in for him so it's quite an amazing thing just thinking actually right, typing up a letter sending it off and hoping to get a club as a top scorer in Scotland, you know, he had the golden boot and all of that. But yeah, I loved Burnley early on. And yeah, he didn't get to play for Scotland, they ended up playing for the public, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when Avery Houghton as well. Yeah, the Borough fanzine printed loads of Slaven for Scotland t-shirts and had to get them redone with Slaven for Ireland. It made, made quite a thing out of it, like crossing Scotland out and putting Ireland on it instead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He was very unlucky, obviously, at the time because Bernie would have been round about Ali McCoy's. Yeah, Mo jo- you had great forwards. You had Ali McCoy's, Mo Johnson, you had John, John Robertson, Robertson, yeah. John Robertson, all in the, the, And with him playing down south at that time, with no disrespect, obviously, to Middlesbrough, but lower risk team, um, not in the, the, the echelons of a Man United, Liverpool, mm. Arsenal, etc. Um, but fantastic striker. Oh, yeah. I really did like him. There was no airs and graces. Very similar to if you, Chris Boyd, maybe at this, in this just recent era. Um, no pace, mm. uh, but no where the, knew where the net was. Mm. Um, just scored goals. It's tough nowadays to think of an equivalent because strikers are like in the modern game almost scoring a goals are last in their mind. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's there's very few out and out who are quite happy to get the goals and not doing all the running and dropping back and all of that. It's yeah, I, yeah, I miss those kind of strikers. Yeah, a lot of fifteen goal strikers. I suppose it was kind of Harry Kane for a while, and now he's yeah. totally the opposite. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, that's the way it's gone. It's the same. I get the Scottish equivalent. I suppose Alfredo Morelos as well this season has totally redesigned his game. So yeah, yeah. it's hard. Probably since Chris Boyd for that kind of, especially the top level of uh, football that just doesn't seem to be. And I was the kind of player that I loved. You know, I was I grew up. Alan McCoy was my absolute idol, mm. and you know that's what he did best was score goals. So it's uh, to think that that kind of the, the way it's evolved now um, is that you've got to work the flanks, you've got to chase down loose balls, hold mm. the ball up, and You've got to incorporate so much. Um, that's how, I suppose, people like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi came to the fore because they've come in off the wings already and mm. had built that style of their game up. So, it's uh, yeah, the, the poacher is uh, no longer really a, a mm. thing anymore. Yeah, you get complaints from fans now, like, all he does is score goals. You're like, it's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> that's what you want. I, I never, <laughs> ever understood that. You know, they, it's very, you know, again, go back to the Chris, Chris Boyd situation. That was, that's all you wanted them to do. And 
when they couldn't do it against the big team, the bigger games, you dropped them and played somebody else to, mm. to, to do that. So, it you know, there's nothing wrong with somebody if they score 30 goals these days. Mm. You know, I think it's rare as well now, I think, is box-to-box midfielders. Your traditional box-to-box midfielders. You don't get many of them now, I don't think. Mm. I think the game's gone so quickly, though, it is probably hard to do that for a full 90 minutes. Is That's maybe where it's come, kind of lost the box-to-box uh, style uh, almost um, and managers really like playing with a kind of holding midfielder and if you've got somebody that's there all the time then you can maybe have somebody that's further up but doesn't need to worry about defending Yeah, too many weird positions, inverted wing backs and all sorts, mm. you even got this season now like overlapping centre backs Yeah, that stopped, that stopped working quite quickly for Sheffield United hasn't <laughs> yeah, well, that's it? Right. it worked for a while Yeah <laughs> It, it was good for most of the last season for them, and then yeah. it's yeah, it's just that's what happens. Everybody catches on to it, and then suddenly yeah. you're, you can't do it anymore. Um, I suppose from the box to box situation, probably more now fullbacks that get up and down and up mm. and down um, is the ones that continuously do the running nowadays. Mm. Aye. There's lots of I England especially with our right backs. Many right backs. It's like Scotland are left backs. England have got about ten really good right backs, haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's a strange thing when that happens. The Scottish left back thing has amazed me for a couple of years. What what are the chances of all the of all the positions of just just a fine line of foot of left backs? Amazing. <laughs> Because even earlier on, like before the like, podcast, watching the Celtic Hibs game, and you get Young Doig, you get the boy Reid mm. and Ross County that come through that season. That's just finished 1 1, by the way. They finished 1 0. Yeah. With that. Um, but I, in a crazy situation. You've got Hickey and Bologna, obviously, the, the two down south. Um, you had Barry Douglas for a while as well. Um, yeah, he's actually still doing all right for Blackburn, although I caught watch match of the day. They, they get beat for Doncaster and they cut their black one. Um, but Barry Douglas is a good left back as well. Yeah, uh, you could Isn't... get Taylor at Celtic, you can't get a game just now. So I mean, it is quite crazy how many really good left backs that we've got. Uh, we we've always got that. It's like the goalkeepers. There was a time where we had really loads of good goalkeepers and then decent centre backs. Now we've got no good centre backs. It's... We, we, can never, we never have 11 good players. That's the thing. Yeah, like uh, positions. But just because you've mentioned the Celtic Hibs game, we've done well not to talk about COVID so far, but we could probably need to kind of talk about it in some way, especially <laughs> well, anytime we've got a guest on as well. What's your, your lockdown been like, uh, Daniel, in terms of productivity and different things? Similar to a lot of certainly football fans at first watching endless YouTube YouTube clips um, and some of the great stuff the BBC Scotland channel put on was an education for me because I'd, I'd you know, I was all about the English game my, my whole adulthood till I moved up here. So to see the old games that they, they would put on on BBC Scotland in, in the first lockdown was tremendous for me. So that was my, my fix as such. And at times I just felt really grateful that I had football in my life, even though it wasn't being played, because mentally it's a really nice place to go. Nostalgia is a really happy place to go. There's nothing wrong with nostalgia, actually. You get a sort of bad name as if people think you're conservative and backwards and all of this. But as a retreat, as a mental retreat, I found it great to have YouTube and borough clips and books. Um, but 
but tinged with on a Saturday afternoon, just feeling low and thinking I'm not supposed to be in the house on a Saturday afternoon. I'm supposed to be on a train somewhere. I stood on a terrace, freezing in a social club, listening to the scores coming in on my way home. It's so much part of your routine and your mental equilibrium. For, for hundreds of thousands, millions of us, I feel like that. So I, 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 you know, gobbled up anything when it started coming back, even watching games without the crowds, even though it's awful. And then was able from the summer to start going to games. So obviously not many up here, but going to Northern League games and Northern Premier League games. I got to a Middlesbrough game because we, we had one of the trial ones with yeah. a thousand fans in the ground. And I got a ticket for that. So I've, man- I've managed about a dozen games this season and then a couple of press tickets up here as well, covering games for different things. Um so I'm better off than most fans, I think. I realise that, having been to, I've got some of my fix, but I'll not be happy again until I'm in some away end celebrating a fluky Borough winner at Preston or Blackburn <laughs> or somewhere, you know, hugging my mates and bouncing out into some freezing night with that those goosebumps that you get. I'll not be fully content till we can get that again. And just when you think it's getting near, it slips away again, doesn't it? And, I remember a year ago, well, 10 months ago, people saying, oh, we'll, we'll not be back in grounds till next year. And I found that unthinkable. And um, and it's, hap- it's happened, really, for most of Scotland. I was getting so excited for the likes of Queen of the South and others that looked so close to having fans, apart from George Galloway, in the ground, and then yeah. just taken away like that. <laughs> oh, I, was, I was the same, Daniel. It was um, so tantalising. Uh, well, I managed to get to... Nisty Wanderers who play in Sanka, which mm. is just down the road from us. Yeah. Um, uh, but obviously they play in the South of Scotland League. Uh, and I managed to get down, obviously, to stand outside. Couldn't get in the game, but you could yeah. stand outside and watch. Um, social distance, obviously, because uh, there was only maybe about 10, 20, 20 yeah. people there. Um, but all the way right round about. The, the, it's a running track, obviously, right round. So it's a massive area for to watch the game. But I was so looking forward to obviously maybe taking in a Cree Town game or a, a, a St Cuthbert Wanderers or mm. even going to Stranraer Reserves, but sadly, obviously, that never materialised. Yeah. Obviously, as we speak at the minute, the rates are through the roof, and we all understand we understand all of it. But when the rates were lower, it was tremendously frustrating to me that non-league non-league Scottish football wasn't allowed anyone in because I was going to all these games in the north of England that were per- perfectly safe people were really behaving because they didn't want it to be taken away from them again so you you really behave your very best at these games because you want to be back in two weeks time and of course the type of games I'm talking about everyone's always socially distanced through a lot of gentlemen on their own like me <laughs> and um you know you've always got four or five meters to yourself at these places very well done i was so impressed with all the non-league clubs the way they did everything from the qr codes to just i mean i've never had hot water in a, the toilets in a football ground in my life so i thought well, <laughs> definitely god they've actually paid a plumber at this place for the first was time a, was a hand towels and soap as well it was a lot <laughs> oh my god washing your hands at football like, this, is a, <laughs> this is a revelation we'll never go back i'll be like where's my hand towel excuse me i'll give them obviously that day that we were both at Carlisle. obviously mm. we never met each other but um I'll give Carlisle so much, Carlisle City, so much praise. Um, they, they downloaded the app onto my phone, um, which I've still got on my phone, the Eve Pass. Yeah. Um, that you went into the ground and you just showed your, um, showed the pass uh, as you went in, and it was a uh, they, they they couldn't be any more stringent 
No, they did that day, um, and it was fantastic what they did, yeah. and and in the social club as well, everybody was was keeping obviously a distance. People were talking to one another, but they knew the circumstances. Mm. Um, but you kind of knew, obviously, that it wasn't going to last. I think you just tend to find with the with politicians and others in charge, they think of one model of football, which is the packed out. Ibrox or a packed out Celtic Park, they don't realise that there are many, many different models of footballs and, uh, football and ways of going. And they would say <coughs> these things about, oh, it's all about access uh, and egress and that. And you thought, loads of these grounds have got at least four open air exits and exits in the middle of the stands as well. It's And we, we genuinely behave because we want to be there and, and we're self-police as well. If you see someone being... The problem don't do that because we're not going to allow back if you do that. It's the same, you know, self-policing is the best way for football fans. The problem, the problem up here in Scotland was not actually. I don't think the politicians as much as the SPFL and the mm. SFA. They totally just wanted to concentrate on the Scottish Premiership. Yes, the and they kept on. They kept on arguing. You know, there was arguments that oh well, Rangers and Celtic are going to be disadvantaged in Europe in because Europe, yeah, they want yeah. to have fans and the, the other teams will. And you know, obviously, Rangers confounded that and everything else. Whereas we always in this uh, this show always advocated that. It should be the non-league, the junior sides, the West mm. of Scotland, you know, whatever. Because as you say, there is so much, it's so much easier. And mm. these people are, it's a community. They want to save their football club. They want to see their football club. So they will respect any protocol. They do, you know, I went to um, Bollock quite a lot. And when I went to Mary Hill as well. They are spread out. You know, they might chat to somebody or it, but they, they, mm. they will have no problem standing two metres away and shouting to each no. other and, you know, doing it that way, no. you know. And it's just, you know, that's the way it should have went from the start when numbers, that rate number was low enough, they should have started there mm. rather than looking at the, the Premiership who have the TV money, who have season ticket money coming in as well. Mm. It just made no sense. I think the concern I think now as well is the way things are going currently, it looks like even maybe going into next season, we're yeah. still not going to see much improvement in terms oh, of fans getting to games, which is really think... worrying because so far we've been we've been fortunate <laughs> in the UK that all clubs, to my knowledge, have survived. Like, I've not seen mm. anything even from the likes of maybe Northern Ireland or Wales. I don't kind of follow that as much. But when it goes in deep into next season as well, and the situation's still maybe the same, is mm. that still going to be the case? I'd like to think with the kind of vaccine numbers that they're talking about, and by the start of next season, there will be a, a a, a way to have a certain amount of fans in each ground, mm. but it will still have to be socially distanced. It won't be sellouts. It won't be. I think they still have to have certain bubbles and stuff in place. But I'd like to think it would be more manageable to have um, a certain amount. Of, but then maybe I'm dreaming. You know, this is Scottish football. It's it's not ever as easy as it should be. I'm always optimistic. I think you have to be an. I, 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 by next season, you would hope, yeah, there's no way we're going to have capacities in the big stadiums. But the th- places like Stranra, where they, it holds, what, 6,000 or more, and they get 400, there's got to be a way of doing that. I know it's the classic thing to say, but you'd I'd go to these safe, le- safe matches and then I'd come home and see all sorts going on down Leith Walk and Tesco and all of that. And you'd think, <laughs> come on, there's got to be a way in Scotland we can have these 
grounds that are too big, that's a different, a completely different problem in Scotland of the fact that, and it's the same for Middlesbrough, it's not just a Scotland thing. We, we built too big, Sunderland built too big and that, that mania in the 90s and that's, that's a, a thing in Scotland as well where you see this Motherwell and all the rest, great grounds, but very rarely full and uh, that could be played to the advantage or it, if and when things get safer, I think. In terms of maybe the appetite for folk that have maybe fallen out with football a wee bit going yeah. back. Even... But that, that worries me as well, though. I think I think particularly of children. I, I, my little girl's been to a lot of games with me, but we've, you know, obviously we haven't been since what our last game was in late February. So there's loads of things kids might get in, into in the meantime and that are warm and don't make the dad miserable. TikTok. <laughs> so you just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I worry about kids getting out of the habit. I really do. Um, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get a post war boom when it is, you know. When things are better, we'll get a real attendance boom. That's that's a hope. Yeah, fingers crossed. In terms of all, aside from that, you're writing a couple of books coming out this year that you're involved with. At least a couple, maybe three. Yeah, in, in the last year, we did Snapshot. I'm editor of Nutmeg magazine, the Scottish football magazine that comes out every three months. And ever since it started, I've been doing photo essays with the great photographer, Alan McCready, who's a good friend of mine. And so we brought them together with new photos, new writing and a few new essays. That's called Snapshot. That's sold incredibly well. And um, I was worried people would be sort of sad looking at it because it's all about what they can't have at the minute. It's all about the football we're talking about, social club standing, junior junior Lowland, right to the top as well. Though. There's, you know, photos of Ibrox, Easter Road, Tynecastle and the rest. Um, but actually it's just, it, it sustained people for a few hours. They could lose themselves and smell the bovril on the pages almost. And then <laughs> I, I wrote a third in a, a series I've done of, of the little things that we love about football. This one's called Extra Time, 50 Further Delights of the Modern Game. So 50, it's a short book again, um, I think that's more to do with my concentration span than anything. And I'm, I'm happy to call it a, a bathroom book, to be polite. It works for I'm me, it works that. for me. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm not great at kind of reading books. Like I like autobiographies and I like mm. factual stuff. So for me, when I got it through and there was a short chapter, I was like, oh, this is heaven. I can read that easy, really easily. Just pick it up now and again. And yeah. um, though when you do start reading, you want to just... He said, I seen a guy on Twitter actually saying, similar to myself, he thought maybe I'll just spend one day reading one wee highlight, but then you, you can't put it down. Um, oh, that's, that's really so, nice. It's really, yeah, really uh, nice to hear. It's, it's, you know, this time it's things like uh, animals on the pitch is one of the chapters, the roar after a minute silence, uh, goalkeepers going forward for corners, indirect free kicks in the boxes. And then, and then other things about uh, fan culture. So I, the last chapter I looked back at was the one about patting police horses because... Uh, you stand outside the ground and you notice how many people pat the police horses out of superstition or whatever it is. And sometimes when I was writing, though, I was thinking, is this just me? In the first book, Saturday 3pm, the very first chapter is called Seeing a Ground from the Train. Oh, and I wrote yeah, it, yeah. submitted it and thought, am I really, this is too, this is totally geeky. Number one, because I, I love railways and I love being on the train in any case. And I love seeing football. But luckily, when it came out, people, you know, it wasn't, he's weird. It was, oh, I love that. And at least once a month, someone will send me a picture, a really blurry picture of London Road, Peterborough, or something yeah. they've seen um, while they've been on a train journey somewhere. And, it, and I also get uh, photos of grounds from the sky as well, occasionally, which is brilliant. Uh, I will be yeah. start, 
so these people so it's uh you think it's just me but then the, the things come out and they're quite universal some of them are quite personal there's one about my daughter in, in this latest one but in general i hope the things that unite us all um and are just little reminders of why we love it and and, and keeping the faith that we will get back there and we will pat police horses again yeah we decided recently to start our guest the ground thing whereby i was like through lockdown taking photos of junior grounds or yeah. west of scotland grounds to see how, folk, how we would guess them it was interesting yeah, how folk knew that it was a certain ground um because i like oven vicks for example in the west of scotland that's right beside the railway line yeah it's like is that how you spotted it and he was like no it's because of something else at the turnstile we could yeah, have said yeah. no that's how i knew um so i it's great like seeing pictures of people going from all sorts and my father-in-law actually got a, a picture of beechwood from all above with a drone camera oh, when it's Christmas which looks terrific especially now they've got the floodlights uh, so there's I, some it, ama- amazing football photography on, on Twitter especially that's another thing that sustained me there's a there's a lot of drone stuff and new angles of grounds that uh, you know you, you, lo- you have to lose yourself in something the news is unremittingly bleak you know, it's if football's your thing to lose yourself in, then I texted my dad the other day. We were chatting about that, saying, "Thank God we've got this," because even though we're not at the match, we're both texting about the scores coming through on Soccer Saturday, and God knows what else I talked to my dad about. <laughs> so we, we're both like that. We're like, Get and Borough doing all right this year. You know, it's that when we win away or whatever, it's not the same. We wish we were there. I hate watching the highlights without fans in the ground, but it's just something a lot of other people don't have. And I feel immensely grateful that I, that I love this game, really. Have you watched many of the streams from Middlesbrough or that? Or... I have a season ticket, so I get get the free stream. Um, I've watched a, a couple, but for for that purple patch when restrictions were low, I was at a game every Saturday for quite a while. Um, so I didn't do that. And I do watch, but I don't... That's the only live football on TV I will really watch because I just I find it so sad. I really do without anyone there it just makes me I almost would I don't know haven't, haven't watched a game full game haven't watched a full game Daniel since March the 12th no I, I got you in the podcast and you never told me that until after I got you on I was like oh, <laughs> I not watched any football but thankfully I haven't watched haven't watched a full 90 minutes since March the 12th um, Rangers versus Bayer Leverkusen mm. in the Europa League Last year was the last full 90 minutes that I actually fully watched. I've dived into games. I mean, don't get me wrong. I watched 10 minutes yeah. here and I watched 10 minutes there, but I just cannot watch a full game, no matter who it is, at what level. Apart from, obviously, my one full game that I did watch was at Carlisle City. Because um, I was there, I was live, and I was at the game. Um, mm. But, well, and outside at Nistel Wanderers, because I, I, I stood outside and watched it, but nothing beats being at a game um, mm. and without fans it's to me it's it's it's, uh, it's awful um, mm. uh, I just I, I really I really enjoyed watching the game last night uh, Marine versus Tottenham uh, that's, I was just I watched the first uh, Till Spurs got those goals in quick succession, another chapter in extra time um, <laughs> I was loving that but as soon as it went to three I just thought 
you know, when, when Marine when Marine hit the bar and the brilliance oh. of all those people drinking champagne and carver in the exactly. garden. Exactly. Yeah. That, thought, that, that's what this made is that. what I love. I texted my dad at that exact point saying, Have you seen these people out having a drink in the garden watching Marine? It's absolutely brilliant. And that's what made it. It yeah. was the fact that, you know, they, they would have their air horns out and every time it was a free kick, they yeah. would have their air horn and then they'd free lines. Somebody obviously got some sort of karaoke machine out the back garden yeah. and started playing that. Um, you know, and it did remind me of that kind of better time, you know, of, yeah. of I mean, yeah. going to these places because I, I, the kind of non-league game that I went down south, uh, I suppose it, it was... Um, Ham- is it Hampton and Richmond against Lewis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Way back in the day with uh, Stuart Fuller and stuff. And, uh, and I just remember one player, just one of the defenders, just jumped off the, and had a slash in the, <laughs> the game, you know, and he, he just jumped past the corner flag. And, you know, you'd they'd slag off, they'd absolutely pelt the goalkeeper and then of the away <laughs> team. And then in the second half, he just all walked around and just did it again. Yeah. And just, and it's that kind of, and you think about Tottenham have to get a deal with that. It wasn't, unfortunately, there was there wasn't enough fans there. But you know, and I, I, to be fair to me, you know, I like the fact they kind of respected them and played. You know, because these players will come away and say, well, you know, the goalkeeper, for instance, he's twenty, and they, yeah, he did concede five goals and this, that, next thing. But you can also say that he saved a shot from Gareth Bale, yeah, who's worth ninety million pounds at one yeah. point, you know, and things like that. Um, it was a tiny, tiny morsel of. The magic, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the cliched magic of the FA Cup. It, it yeah. takes me back to one of the probably, certainly the top five bits of writing that I've uh, read during lockdown, and that was your uh, Silent Saturday piece. I remember oh, I wrote yeah, a, a, wee, a wee thing about it in, uh, for uh, Supporters Direct as well, to try and get more people to think it. And it's that kind of nostalgia piece that also has you wanting to get back and unfortunately we've not got back yet yeah. but it that's the kind of thing uh, and it really did I, I, I loved it and it's that kind of thing as well where he, yeah. that game yesterday just took me back to when I was a kid when you mm. would see that kind of non-league team against a big team and yeah. you were then hoping that the non-league team would do something and you know and that's what football still has mm. you know I know it's, it's by no way shape or form anywhere near as good without the fans but there's still yeah. that wee kind of bit when you get certain games like that or certain youngsters scoring or something like that which just still FA Cup sub, FA Cup third round day for me even although I'm, I'm Scottish and I'm born and bred FA Cup third round day for me is one of the pinnacle highlights of my yeah. year well, that was the, I, I, well, love, I love the draw I love the draw and yeah. then eventually it always happens Technically, it should be the first Saturday, Sunday after New Year. And and whoever's playing who, I just look so forward to it. And this year, it's just been, it's, oh, it depressed me. Like, I mean, but the, then have you seen, we should have, did you see the goals, Crawley against Leeds? Well, I've got, no, I haven't. Uh, I've got match, so, yeah, I've got match you, of the day recording. I'll, I'll actually probably watch it later on. You see, when you see the first goal score, you see his face, that mm. brings it all back. You know, yeah. you see, watch his interview afterwards as well, and he, he started to cry because he, yeah. he had a terrible car crash a couple of years ago and never That's thought right. he would play again. So it's, it's, you know, it struck me, I, I went to cover Cowdenbeath against Brecon for when Saturday comes for the new issue. And when Cowdenbeath scored, I could hear the players, the sheer euphoria of all the players. And I thought, 
I haven't heard Euphoria in 2020. Yeah, I haven't heard lads on the street corner after a few pints having a laugh like that. I haven't heard Euphoria has disappeared from our society, really. Just, you know, hedonistic joy has all but gone. So to hear those young lads, you know, 10 or 11 Cowdenbeath players piled on top of each other with the subs and everything, screeching, I just thought, what a lovely noise after... It's just gone. Checking yourself, checking yourself for injuries the day after a game. Yeah. The last game, I was lucky yeah. enough to get to you. And you were talking about your uh, chapter, quick succession. I was lucky enough to be at the cup tie between Kilmarnock and Aberdeen mm. last season. Went by the most boring night of minutes ever, but I had the, the lucky experience. First of all, we got a couple of goals. Well, quick succession, but it was either side of 90 minutes. But then we get two goals in 119 minutes, 120 minutes to go through and the rounds, which is fantastic because you never thought it was going to happen. So it that's kind of forward thing for quick succession goals, yeah. two last minute goals to get through in the cup. Yeah, and it makes it worth it. I filmed, um, I filmed Mary Hill must have been last season. It feels like ten years ago, and uh, we're doing a piece on, on on how you know the volunteers basically saved that football club. Without the volunteers, they, they wouldn't be existing today. And we're filming the game and. They're losing one now, and you're like, right, okay, it's very small. We managed to get a, a space in the tiniest car park in the world, uh, which is mainly actually for the post office. There's a post office depot there as well, and it's mainly for them. You shouldn't really park there for um, for the purposes of football. But my dad was helping with the filming, and he used to work for the BBC and STV and stuff, and just doesn't have any compulsion or he just goes and parks wherever he wants you know as if that's his job that's what he's doing and uh, and we're like oh, should we just leave you know it's like five minutes to go should we just leave and just get away before we can't get the car out and stuff because everybody else we try to leave at the same time we're like, well, we'll just wait for that, the, this last ball into the box ball comes in and the boy scores an overhead kick so we get that and then we think, well, we just may as well stay for the last two minutes yeah. now. And they picked up, there was another overhead kick, picked up a winner. And you're listening, well, that's, I mean, that, that was worth, you know, worth yeah. whatever we're going to have to wait in the car, whatever has happened, that's made our story. But it's also made my day because, you know, I was happy for them to win. I was delighted to see how happy they were as fans mm. to get that win. And, you know, that was it. So yeah, we've never been at a game where a goalkeeper scored. No. Oh, no, it's one of the dreams, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you get Doro to an Andy Leishman at Talbot squad. Mm-hmm. Aye. I've, I've, no, I've, I've no been at the game. Yeah, Andy, Andy's scored. I, and also, I've seen a keeper, no, an outfield player, go in goals for a penalty in a cup game and save it. Oh, that's good. My, my, my collector's item is the very opposite to seeing a goalkeeper score, which is seeing David James thrown on up front for Manchester City on the last day. I was there in the away end. We had to get a draw to get into Europe. If they beat us, they got into Europe. And it was, uh, I've forgotten who the manager was. Oh, Stuart Pearce. Stuart Pearce, yeah. Yeah, and he chucked on <laughs> James up front, took off an outfield player, someone like Jonathan Macken or someone. Robbie and, Fowler uh, or something? Because Robbie, Robbie Fowler missed the penalty. Oh, Mark Schwartz saved the penalty, right? Yeah. Um, and that was incredible because we were both so nervous you know, Europe for us, oh, so close to it. And yet it was absolutely hilarious. So you didn't know what to do to be. Of course, you, you, as a football fan, you were just thinking, well, he's going to score, isn't he? He's going to score. 
uh, and he was just atrocious. So, so see that that tactic, and it's, it's usually set the back. I'm thinking Shane Duffy against Rangers. See that tactic of throwing the big lump up front. Yeah. But once or twice in the whole of history of football, yeah, that's what the manager just seems to do. He's got he's got three strikers on the bench, you know, still just chuck yeah. up this big lump who can't control yeah. the ball just to get a header on. It's crazy. It's still, it's but we all love so it. We love it. Though. It happens, don't we? Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You're going right. About... Like it's it's like 85 minutes, and you're like, why you no sense? Get that back up. Come yeah. on, come yeah. on. And then talking about goalkeepers, talking about goalkeepers scoring. Um, th- this always sticks in my head. I I went to Somerset Park to watch Air United, and it was that mon. It was the last last day of the season, and it was that mundane game. I can't remember who Air played that day because of one incident sticks in my head I left Somerset Park with maybe 15-20 minutes to go before the game was finished and I walked back into town in here and I went to a pub called the Tamashanta Inn and, and I watched the final scores coming in with Jeff Sterling um, You were with Jeff Sterling? No I wasn't with <laughs> Jeff Sterling but I just watched Jeff um, who at that time wasn't as famous as what he is now and uh, and I stood there and I watched the, the scores coming in and the pub was busy Saturday afternoon. It's a tiny pub as it is anyway. And and the scores were coming in and it flashed up on the screen. Carlisle versus Plymouth Argyle. Oh, God, that long ago. Yeah. And that, <laughs> was, that was the same day. Yeah. And it came up the name Jimmy Jimmy Glass. Jimmy Glass. Yeah. And, and I... Honestly, I will never forget this day. I was along with my two friends, uh, Stuart and Stephen, and I just let out the biggest roar in, in my life. And I went, that's the goalkeeper. Yeah. That's the goalie. The goalie scored. And there, there was a guy standing next to me, and I don't think I've ever met him again since. But I pulled him over to me, and I told him the story about Jimmy Glass. That's how much a geek I am. I says, he's just signed in loan. He's sending loan for Swindon Town, and he and he's, he's a goalkeeper, and they've only just I can't believe this. They scored and they survived. This is a game that's keeping them up, and this guy just stood there beside me as if to say, "What the? What are you talking about?" <laughs> he's never he's never going back to that pub. No, he's like, "Oh, <laughs> and, uh, Stuart, every weekend." Stuart and Stephen, my friends, were like, "Donald, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "That is the goalkeeper has just scored to keep Carlisle in the the league." This is unbelievable, and obviously it's now in folklore, um, just exactly what happened. Mm. Honestly, I would have to go back into the record books to see who Air United played that day in the last game mm. of the season because it was that, that boring that yeah. I left with 15, 20 minutes to go. But I'll always remember that day. That, uh, takes, me, that takes me slightly further back, I think. Was, uh, again, back to teletext, was the uh, Wickham Wanderers. And it, it was Laurie Sanchez, I'm sure, was the manager at the time, and he was asking, yeah, he was asking for any players. And yeah. Roy Essendon, who played for Motherwell and mm-hmm. East Fife, I think, as well, answered the call. And they went, you know, he was part of that folklore, you know, that cup run, and it was all down to Teletext. And they saw that message pop up in Teletext. Mm-hmm. Must have p- pressed the whole button, and then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, McSporran played for him, didn't he, at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they're the things you remember though. 
that you look you look back on uh, you, you you reminisce and you think my god those those are just little things the other wee things that you put in your book Daniel the other wee things that we like that that, that you've got obviously that people like myself and Scott enjoy yeah I think... it, 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 that's that's what makes your your books worth reading and, and reminiscing about it's those little gimmicks and those little things and uh, I must admit I, I love all your your, your books I've not got your new one yet which uh, was on my list so you can't yeah. love them all then because you've not read one so that's you <laughs> like straight away straight away <laughs> I haven't I haven't got the new one yet so I'm looking it's, forward uh, to it I was reflecting on because it's really kind of you to say so, about observing all the minutiae and actually going on my own to quite a lot of games helps so if I'm in, if I go to if I go to Middlesbrough, I meet my friend there, and my daughter often comes with me. And if I go to Hibs, she comes with me. But when I'm on my travels, I'm usually on my own. And obviously, people are like, oh, there's some, there's some, there's a, there's probably bad images attached to someone that goes to football on their own. People perhaps take pity at times, but if you're on your own, you're not chatting to someone you're not having a laugh with your mate I've been to games where I'm supposed to be making notes with mates before and I've had to go again a fortnight after because I've got I've written nothing down <laughs> um which is good because I've had a good time but it, it does help that that that's one thing that helps because when you're on your own you're sort of making your own entertainment and you're watching the crowd all the time and you've no one to speak to and you try not to check your phone so that Middlesbrough can ruin your afternoon with tidings of home defeats so, so that, this is yeah this has just popped into my head, right? Let's see if, if we're all the same or if this is just a kind of mental issue that I've got. See if you're at a wedding, right? Right? And are you kind of known as the football guy? Yeah. Right? And that then kind of annoys me because people will then come up and talk to you about football, yeah. which, is, which is fine. I don't mind that. But see when they get things wrong, like, players' yeah. names and all, you oh. know they've got the wrong teams and all the rest of it. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I don't and want to don't, talk about it's it's always ones that don't go to a game. It's just yeah. my wife will say, Oh he likes football and you speak to him and he's a Man United fan from Basildon and he's never been to Old Trafford and you think that's not the same. That's not the same. <laughs> don't tower us with one brush. <laughs> it's when, it's when you go on holiday and you see the the fellow football fan from your area that's got a football top and you think, All right Brown, give me a bit of football chat or you better Tedium away from the line by the pool, and then they know nothing about the team. And you're like, yeah. rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, though, I don't think you see many Aberdeen fans away from Aberdeen, do you? Oh, you do, I. <laughs> what the holidays I go, I fancy trips. <laughs> Stonehaven. <laughs> With that. Football tops abroad, yes or no? No. I don't. I don't dare wear a football top anymore. I just think I look ridiculous. I used to. I used to, but no, no, no. It's that's a big no-no for me. So, I like you. I like your expensively designed, nice T-shirts, like Scott's wearing. That's my. That's yeah, the age I'm at now. Oh, <laughs> I have um, my uh, Ottoman Empire shirt from Icarus FC on tonight. There you go. I don't, I don't know if you follow them on, on Twitter. <laughs> no, you, you win you win the the hipster credentials there <laughs> once again. I also have from them the, the FC Stroitel Pripyat, which was the shirt they brought out to commemorate Chernobyl. Mm. Uh, the team that should have played obviously in Chernobyl, but they then ceased to exist obviously after. Oh, the, what uh, happened? 
there was a disaster. Did they ever meltdown that team? There was a disaster. I think Scott. That's true. 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 <laughs> the, the football strip thing so I've, I've bought I got a um, Ronaldinho number 20 so it's actually the Ronaldo but back in the day before uh, so back in 1993 when he made his debut there was another Ronaldo so he had to be Ronaldinho mm. so I've got that strip and I've got a PSV strip you know, the one Ronaldo wore again at PSV with the squares and stuff, a wee bit like the Croatia top. And it was, it was in the, the collar. And I paid a decent amount of money for them. And I was thinking, well, it's probably quite a cool thing to wear because they're so retro. It's but then I wore it. It's but, oh, it's massive. But mm. then I wore it. I thought, I'm just too old. You know what I mean? I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't actually go to work or go out in the kind of town like that. I, yeah. I, so I'm going to hang them up. I'm going to do up my spare room and just hang them up as kind of souvenirs. But uh, Get them framed and kid on to the grandkids that are all here <laughs> playing against Ronaldinho. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think football strips, unless you're playing football, is a kind of no, or, or you're going to the game, um, I, I think that's a kind of no, no. I don't. I wouldn't wear it about town. Or I, I do enjoy getting. I've got you know every borough strip from about eighty eight to two thousand and two or something, and I do enjoy getting the earlier ones out, if only to feel the material they were made from in its flammable, monstrous state <laughs> and think I used to wear this. How, why are we all alive? Why has anyone wore any clothes from the late eighties and early nineties? We used to wear those ski jackets all the time and shell suits. And shell suits, yeah, well, exactly. I was going to say shell the nineteen ninety. Yeah. <laughs> the World Cup 1990 Scotland uh, shell suit. Really, I've got the England one still. I'm my, my daughter. Oh, my, when my daughter was eight, she put my first borough top on with my England shell suit over it. And then when she took it off, she had this red rash all around her body. <laughs> <laughs> they, made us, they made us different then. We were all eating orange food. And that, that protected us from the... Brown food protected us from the polyester or whatever the hell it was. I had, um, Daniel, I had, I had, I've had this conversation with, with John, like, but um, just just a quick one. Like, I was, I was doing up my house and I was clearing it out and I found an old Yugoslavia... 1992 shirt that I had mm. bought um, and I was in the verge of throwing it out because uh, oh. I was just doing up my house and I was tidying it all up and I was flinging so much into the, the, the bin and everything else. Mm. I actually threw away a USA 1990 away shirt oh. and I threw it out but at the last minute I looked at the, the, the Yugoslavia strip and I had a look at it and I went that, put that Yugoslavia, I just, well, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, quickly right. straight onto my phone and I googled it and I went, oh my goodness! And it was a strip that they should have worn in the 1990 oh, yeah, European Championships. Yeah. Um, Denmark obviously took their place and, yeah. and the rest is history. Um, and I didn't find it out. I still got it. And you're talking the likes of classic football shirts. Yeah. If you were if you're going on there to buy that, you're talking three four hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, it now um, takes pride of place in my, not in the room I'm in at the moment, but now it's in a frame going up in the wall. <laughs> yeah, too right. Uh, but I was nearly gone. That shirt was nearly gone out. I did throw away that USA shirt, which if on the same classic football 
Shirts website. If you look at it, you're talking about the same price, two hundred, three hundred pound. Oh. If you want to buy that at the same time, Borussia Dortmund. I had one of them as well. Um, I had a Newcastle United shirt signed by Philly Palbert. Oh, and I totally forgot about it. Um, it was his name and number on the back, number twenty-seven. He had from Newcastle, and I wasn't. I'm not a Newcastle fan, but uh, at that time they were the they were the cult team that yeah. everybody sort of followed the Keegan era. But not for me, they weren't. No, obviously. <laughs> different, letter, different letter and <laughs> Definitely, obviously, but Philip Albert. I've mellowed now. To me, to me, Philip Albert was probably one of the best players I've ever yeah, seen. They were a brilliant just, side. He uh, never, he was never a centre half. No. He was like, he, he was no, a midfielder. He was, he was a centre half. He was a Kevin Keegan centre half. I can embrace all that now. I wrote a chapter for a book this, this year um, of, of near misses. I wrote mine on Newcastle. Uh, I love the city. I went to uni there, so I'm absolutely in love with Newcastle, the place. But that, that time was when Borough were, you know, the Ravenelli Janino era, when you your heart was in your mouth that Newcastle were going to win something before we did. And as it turned out, neither of us won anything. <laughs> but we did eventually, of course, on February the 29th, 2004. But so that's that. probably, that kind of relationship is probably similar to my kind of relationship with England. It's like heart in the mouth. Yeah, they're going to win something. When you get to the semi-finals, like, the, you know, the last World Cup, you're like, right, it's all very good. It's fine. I don't mind you getting to this, this stage. But now you yeah. have to actually just give it up. It can't, yeah. You can't go any further. <laughs> no, I, I get that. <laughs> that brings us nicely on to football rivalries and the book you're involved is mm. in us and them. So how did that come about? Because obviously the rivalries in that are not your traditional rivalries. No, I've done bits because it's produced by Nil, Nil by a Mouth and I designed, edited it and did a chapter in it. And um, I've done lots of work with Nil by a Mouth down the years. I think the what they do is fantastic, trying to aim for education more than anything is a way out of, of sectarianism looking especially to younger people I, I really admire that and so they wanted to yeah not look at tradition obviously there's a chapter about Rangers and Celtic in there but even that one isn't a normal angle it's focusing on some of the positive relationships some yeah. of the friendships that do exist believe it or not beyond the headlines around that game and yeah but throughout we were able to get people who live in more interest, you know, very interesting places. So a guy that lives in the Far East was able to go and watch China v India and write about that yeah. as it's not a rivalry yet, but it's going to become one if, if you know, capitalism proceeds as it yeah. is now. The money they're throwing at football, both countries, the ambitions they've got, it will become a rivalry. So you've got that. You've got one set in the Balkans regarding Kosovo and Albania and the complexities around that. My own was uh, Guernsey versus Jersey, which I absolutely loved going down to, to that. They play, I did play every year in a, in a tournament called the Murati. So it's a real, you know, seven or eight really different kinds of rivalries we've looked at. Quite a, a short book. It's only a fiver online and it goes towards the education programme that Nil by Mouth do. But really good for me to get out of my low division comfort zone, I think, by thinking about those more international issues. Yeah, it was good. I particularly like the Kosovo Albania chart. Mm. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's yeah. a cracking book, Daniel. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, a mutual friend of ours, Dave Scott, um, sent me a copy. Um, Jennifer Jones obviously has a uh, is a friend as well, has a chapter in in the book, and, and yourself and and Dave, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was mm -hmm. must admit, it was it was something that kept me going during lockdown. 
Yeah, yeah we need to try and get Dave on the podcast as well. That's yeah. And that's when I was saying to Daniel before the podcast, obviously I've said to you, Donald, about the fact that it turns out my wife ordered theirs and then book for me, ordered it for a few other folk. And she received an email from Dave saying, oh, how come you've ordered a few and different things like that? And they got on chatting away and down the line, a few conversations later, it turned out he used to live in the house that I stay in now. So, small world. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seeing the sectarianism thing, obviously it's something that's predominant up here in the west of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Do you see any of it at all in England, really? In the I, I never have. I, be, I, I may be being innocent and I did have a night, you know, I grew up in a small village near York, so I, I genuinely didn't really know what religion I was growing up. Um, none of us really did. We, it's, so it, it is still a shock up here sometimes to the system. I'm not naive. I'm sure there's been prejudice and all sorts gone on in England and Liverpool had problems for a while as well. But it's uh, it's still surprising to me, let's just say at times when I go to Easter Road and things sung by from the away end particularly um i can't i can't pretend that i'm i'm used to it no we just didn't really grow up with that as um something that surrounded us we didn't all we knew was playing football and sausage and chips it's a very naive way to look at life but that's maybe why i write books about the delights of football because i had a sheltered childhood maybe someone who grew up in a bigger city would say it was prevalent i don't know Manchester. Or how would the rivalries were then like a sunderland and newcastle compare from middlesbrough like what I, I, kind of rivalry is it the sunderland newcastle one's extremely strong and has only become more and more bitter over the years if you think amazingly there's a great book called up there by the brilliant michael walker great football writer about northeast football northeast football's boom and bust and he goes back into the history of Newcastle Sunderland and shows how much less acidic it was in the past. Sunderland fans used to sing Blade and Races, for instance, which is now a, a Geordie anthem. I and I, f- I find that really interesting of rivals generally. I think they have become more, I think Celtic and Rangers has become more acidic and poisonous in the last 20 years or so, really. If you look, Social look media has played a big part in that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's real poison uh, certainly in the headlines and on social media though I suspect if the majority of people aren't into that and don't do that and do have friends on both sides and all of that but that yeah Sunderland and Newcastle always claim they don't care about Borough and it's not part of the rivalry but they do go on about it a lot so you wonder if that's absolutely true <laughs> uh, but nothing, how, would nothing how would Middlesbrough fans view them though like would they now that we hardly play each other it's sort of fading away. I, I've watched, you know, I've loved Sunderland till I die on Netflix and I've found myself wanting them to win in it. That's how we've just ended up in three different divisions. Generally in the northeast, now there's this collective feeling sorry for ourselves. We're, we're all right at Borough. We're, we're running the black. We've got a brilliant chairman in Steve Gibson that keeps us going. We've had those expensive days and I was glad I was there for the glory days. But how far Sunderland have fallen, how far Hartlepool and how far Darlington have fallen makes us pity ourselves more than anything, I think. Yeah, you're but lucky. it makes for good writing and good humour, you know. It's, it's no coincidence that the likes of Harry Pearson's a Borough fan as well, because it could <laughs> a brilliant writer like that, because it gives you a certain perspective, I think. But it's a shit. It's the North, Northeast football, it's it saddens you really. The, the side, to be a one club city like Newcastle, there should be for years they should have been winning and winning and winning trophies and doesn't happen. Can't say I ever shed a tear for them when we were 
fighting out with them. But um, yeah, the conundrum. I don't know if there's. I don't know if there's another rivalry like Celtic and Rangers. But I've not been to too many derbies really. I've just been to our our own. Yeah. Um, My um, but but sort of only recently is uh, obviously from your area. Obviously, Daniel is um is getting involved in how how deep and how good the non-league level is. Mm. And in your area, I mean, you, you take take out the three big clubs: Newcastle, Sunderland, mm. Middlesbrough, and then obviously you go Hartlepool, Darlington, obviously. But then you go then you go deep below that, and you go mm. South Shields, North Shields. See him, Red Star, um, all those non-league teams. Yeah, Northern League and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just I'm, I'm phenomenally how good non-league football is in that area compared yeah. to anywhere else. I, I got a book for my for my Christmas. I, I had um, and it's written by Mark. Um, fact, I think it's sitting over here, <laughs> right behind me. Um, and it's about the FA Vaz mm. uh, trophy and how many teams in the northeast have won the FA Vaz. Yeah, um, it's phenomenal. Look yeah, at those clubs. Um, <laughs> when you when you look at them, obviously your South Shields and Julio Aka, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Sunderland next Middlesbrough. He's still playing, I think, isn't he? With, with yeah, he was. He's, I think he might have finished now. I'm not sure. But... Um, uh, but when you look at those clubs that has won that trophy in in, in uh, Bishop Auckland and um, and the West Auckland to won the original World Cup. Uh, it's just phenomenal the, the the level of football in your area. Um, mm. If you go below the big three, uh, and how deep and how good to get a crowd. Newcastle mm. Blue Star was a team obviously that I've picked up through lockdown. Um, I've followed on social media, and they, they're obviously still playing, but they're even at a level below some of those teams. Mm. And the crowds that they've been getting, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's still a really rich culture, and I think. If you know, especially if you live in the in the in the if you live in the east of Scotland, the southeast of Scotland, it's quite easy to get to. I'm surprised more people don't just get on a train to. A lot of people get on a train to Newcastle to go to St James Park, but there's there's a richness. Just if you get to Newcastle Central, get on the metro. There's five or six clubs by metro yeah. stops. Heat in Stannington, Dunstan Town. Yeah. Um, from yeah, where I live, Edinburgh, it's easier to do than going to Air or Kilmarnock. From yeah, where yeah. I live in Scotland, yeah. it's something I would love to do once once all lockdown has sort of came up and came on. It's a little thing that I've got in my head now. Actually, is to go down, obviously, your area, and and take in all those all those mm. teams in there because it's such a rich history that they have. Mm. Um, when obviously I've not read the book yet, I've got it there about all those teams that's won the FA Vaz, um, but. It just amazes me how they, they can sustain themselves as well mm. with the people that still go and watch them. Well, when when you have, when you have such. If you ever get down to Buckley, is it Buckley Town? Well, yeah, you see, yeah. If you ever get, if you ever get there and you you watch them, you can always think, oh, Scott Johnston graced that field one time. <laughs> 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 Did you? <laughs> before well, a, that, just that before day, a Buckley game, yeah. Well, that day we were at Kalil. Yeah, that day that both me and Miss Daniel were at Kalil. That was who they played. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, it so, was Buckley Town. It was Kalil City versus I mean, Buckley Town. I'm trying to think. It was about ten years ago now, or nine years ago. Uh, Andy Hudson. Um, he used to do a lot of ground hopping and stuff. He organised a charity game for, you know, the tsunami in J- uh, uh-huh. Japan. One of the teams really suffered. Um, and 
he organised for football writers to play non uh, Northern League football fans. Mm. And uh, I went down and, yeah, it was wearing black and white, almost Newcastle colours, unfortunately, <laughs> Daniel. Um, but I did wear number 13 to try and get away from it. Um, and uh, it was a cracking, cracking ground. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I'm kind of best known for falling my ass. But uh, apart from that, it was a good day. Oh, fantastic. Oh, next time I'm down there, I've got... I'll, uh, I'll, you can put, I'll, you can I'll, put I'll, a plaque up. Yeah, yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll Facebook you with a plaque. <laughs> Before moving to uh, Edinburgh, did you have a much interest in Scottish football, Daniel? I must have done, because I've certainly always had that thing that a lot of English people do, the romance of the names. So I was always aware of Queen of the South, Heart of Midlothian, St Mirren, yeah. the places that aren't named, teams that aren't named after a place. And hearing them in the results, and and then my Panini '89 sticker album had Scotland in it, had the top top division in it. So I had all I have all these names in my head, like Campbell Money of Saint Mirren, yeah, and, yeah. and the fact that Hearts had two managers, I always used to feel sorry for them. They had to share a sticker, and um, <laughs> so that's you had that baseline knowledge. And then going into the '90s, I remember that when Cowden Beath were on that run where they didn't win at home for 101 weeks. We in the playground, when you miss hit a shot with a tennis ball, instead of going, ah, you're shit, we used to go, ah, Cowden Beef. <laughs> and then as a treat for my, uh, it's out 14th birthday, my dad said, I'm taking you abroad to a match. And I'm thinking, Gazetta, James Richardson, <laughs> Magic, Hibs versus Dundee United was the answer so that was my first Scottish game on my 15th birthday and, and as it turned out Hibsy who I watch most now I did um, and I remember that really well because to me the colours of Scottish football are different you don't have many teams in red I always think Sterling obviously Aberdeen your own yeah. but but it's a strange thing but you have these wonderful kaleidoscopic colours Dundee United Hibs remains one of my favourite fixtures Motherwell as well the colours of these teams we, we don't have teams Bradford nearly perhaps in those colours but uh, I always found the colours, so Masabutio teams were more exotic in Scottish colours. The, the, just the Hibs arms, that, that green with the, the arms. So I, it was all about romance, definitely, and Cowden Beath. And it still is, really. I, I, I think I love Scottish football because I'm an, an outsider. It's one big reason. I have no prejudices. I have no teams I dislike. Um, I have teams that I like more than others and grounds that I like more. But I, I didn't grow up with that. Like you do, you have your irrational hatreds of teams and I've got them yeah. in England, but here I just love visiting towns and places and grounds and the authenticity of Scottish football grounds. Really because there's been not much money in the game means that you didn't knock down Somerset Park, you didn't knock down Capilo, all my favourite places. Palmer They're the two best, aren't they? They're my oh, two favourite Just, just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Teams anyway. And I, I, I friends that come up and people on Twitter that say, what ground shall I go to? And they come up to see a game here and without fail, they're just like, this is what I used to love about football. Um, and that's not to say it's backwards in any way. I hope you don't take it to mean that. I just mean it has the charm still. In in the 90s in England, we had this habit of, you know, Ayrson Park went, Roker Park went, the baseball ground went. Maybe 15 grounds just bulldozed. And OK, some of them were unsafe and had to go and we had to make football safe. We all know why. But there was a real chance not to throw everything away, but to keep old design in with new safety measures in the same way they did with, let's say, an art gallery in the middle of a town. The council never knock it down. They put a nice glass front on it. Same with lots of churches. They never knock them down. They make them modern. We should have done that with our town centre football grounds in England. and We never did. But here, 
you've a chance to keep what you've got and, and financial because of finances you probably will keep what you've got and it's those charming every time i see a rumor at one of those grounds i mean morton are in real trouble at the moment for the mismanagement and yeah. that the, the yeah. splitting of the ownership of the ground from the club that always frightens me in any case because that's Definitely. the first thing someone does when they want to build flats over your ground and um that petrifies me but yeah I, I'm, I'm still in love with with the game here for all its frustrations and uh, it's, it's, an, it's an affectionate love as well nothing has made me happier in lockdown than the the, the the artificial intelligence used to Inverness Caledonia Thistle that followed the linesman's bald head. That was my that was my highlight of 2020. Yeah, yeah. And, and when people go, why do you like Scottish football so much? I'm able to, without laughing at it, say, number one, it's the grounds and and the people just love this game. Even when it's it's just it runs through the, um, sort of the DNA in Scotland. But number two, it's the ability to laugh at yourself. Um, it's a great thing, a really useful thing that. that that you're able to do that, and the the Baldy linesman thing was in that great tradition, I think. My um, I've I've spoken about this before, Daniel, but um, my love for both Scottish football and English football is now it's a big chasm between the top level and, and the low league, and in Scotland, I was born and brought up a Rangers supporter. I went, I was season ticket holder, went to all the games, but I've never felt so much disillusioned by the top level of Scottish football mm. and now my focus and love is in non-league football Yeah, and it's the same down south um, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan so it's my team down south well I haven't been top level for, for a long long time but I, 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 I don't get any love watching Manchester mm. United, Liverpool Chelsea, Arsenal but give me give me a game if it's um, Crawley against Plymouth or Gale or, or lower leagues, if it's AFC Wimbledon against um, Shrewsbury Town or whatever. And even more so at the moment because I think these clubs need um, the COVID has obviously made almost a lot of people, I can tell by social media, just how, how it drifted, obviously. Mm. The, the, the love for. You feel more value, don't you? That's the thing. Yeah. The lower mm. leagues and the non leagues, yeah. you feel valued as a fan. You don't just feel like. The clubs taking their money. I think, I think that's a number. The biggest part of it is that the club feel part of the community, and the community feel part of the club. And it, you know, it, it sounds it will sound weird and nonsensical, but I do feel as though as soon as you walk through a turnstile, and it is usually an old fashioned turnstile. Yeah, yeah, no. At one of these, yeah. at one of these um, kind of non-league teams um, or non-league teams. And you, you instantly feel the love. You instantly mm. know that there'll be somebody there doing a raffle mm. and that that person will be chatting to somebody who they have spoken to every second Saturday for mm. 20 years. And they, 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 there'll be one person at the club who knows it inside out, who's probably been the president or mm. the secretary, club secretary for a number of years and they might be retired now, but they still go. You know, I love going to you know, with what I'm able to do with filming for a support a Supporters Direct Scotland is go to the community clubs and go to games and certain things and I love mm. going to a game and finding out wee stories, you know, when I went to Mary Hill, there was a guy behind the goal who would come for about 20, just, he would only come for about 20 minutes of the game, these two great Danes, <laughs> and he, he used to play for Mary Hill, he was a club legend, and he would come every Every two set, every second Saturday, with his two big great Danes, stand behind the goal, 
and chat away and then leave after 20 minutes that was enough you know and it's like those kind of stories where yeah it's just like and you come you know you're you're, you're part and parcel of this mm. football club you i find that it's, it's a lovely um uniting thing to have that love of the game and you're treated equally you're just treated as someone who's interested and in, no matter where you go the north of england scotland um uh, and the heart and soul is still there. You're absolutely right. And it's easy to become disillusioned with the top of the game. It's a different sport, really. But I, I think it's possible to get the heart back by getting out there. And I think that could save a lot of clubs, people visiting, going to non-league, going to low division, thinking, this is what I used to love about it. It's a tenor in, you know, all of these things onwards. I can hear the players shouting. I can hear the fans, the players joking back at the players and all of that stuff. And that, the, the heart and soul is still there. I think it's easy to say our oh, game's modern football and all of that, but it's, it trickles down and it's still there. We just have to hope the club still exists at the end of all this. That's the huge worry about it. Because I think they'd rather be funding themselves with gate receipts than waiting for handouts from the, the government. That's the thing, isn't it? So, but yeah, the heart and soul's there. No need for too much disillusionment. That's my message when we're allowed in. <laughs> During. Uh, the first lockdown and I was, I was able to go out and film for a, a spell and uh, I went down, I think John, I don't know if you mentioned it, on the podcast, just before the podcast, with uh, it was Urban Meadow and the gates were open and I walked in mm. and uh, the, the chairman and the president was there and he was painting the fence mm. and we had our, our drone and we were like, it's okay if we do some filming because we're trying to kind of give fans a reason to remember what they did and coming back, you know, try to give them some sort of um, way of thinking that we're going to be coming back soon. You know, we don't, just don't know when. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then he was telling me, and this is what happens. This is how accessible it is. You can just turn up at the gate mm. and start chatting away to somebody who yeah. basically owns that football club or runs that football club. And, you know, he's like, oh, can you please get um, this this bit and what they they done is they been able to I think via funding get a, a wee kind of enclosed disabled bit and they wanted to make sure that that was in because it's the kind of crown jewel of the, the, the stadium at the moment and he was mm. t- telling me about um, he hadn't had anything from the SFA or the authorities of how he can realistically open up the stadium and you know, he's like, they're ready, you know, they've got everything yeah. done, they've got separate areas, they'll close off the lounge, this, that, and the next thing. And they weren't getting anything. That just killed me, that these people mm. are still working night and day, aren't really getting, they're not getting paid for it, and yet they were getting left behind because mm. everybody was concentrating, everybody that mattered when it comes to decision-making was concentrating on the old firm probably more than anything else plus the, the top flight. Mm. Not been helped as well, obviously, with the announcement from today whereby you've got a three-week suspension. Though I think some clubs now were thinking, well, why is it not been suspended when we're in a worse situation now than potentially yeah. we are back in March yeah. last year, but... There's still plenty of teams that would still want to be playing just now. It's yeah. well, look at the situation. The, the statement from Partick Thistle, you know, is like, that, yeah. we should have. This is why we said legal reconstruction needed to happen. We're a full-time club, and now we're financially worse off because you've just decided to cancel these three weeks. Now they support it in terms of, you know, sell, uh, helping the NHS and everything else, but they're not protected. 
Whereas the championship's protected, and they're like, you know, how if we'd have stayed in the championship, if you'd have been able to reconstruct, you know, have a bit of a, a, a wee bit of thought process of how to keep professional teams, um, kind of full time professional teams together, that would have made more sense. And it's mm-hmm. just crazy. And they just, with every other decision, it's just thrust upon them last minute. Mm-hmm. Scott, I've managed 11 days of 2021 without the words league reconstruction and you've gone and blown And I've gone and broken it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always scared for something. I'm always something. No. But, but it's, <laughs> not that I'm against it. I just, <laughs> just it's funny. It's, so. I'm not, you know, I think it, it should have been seriously considered. I'm not no. saying that I would bring it up mid-season other than the fact that Partick Thistle brought it up and said, I told yeah. you so. I know, I know what you and mean. They have, a lot of fans wanted that. it as well, though. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. Fans are never really consulted, which is, is the main which, problem. And we spoke which about is that why, which is why, the summer or before. Which is why we're more, as a foursome anyway, interested in the non-league game than we are the mm. higher end of of the football because we, we do not get listened to at all as football fans. No, no. no we don't. That's the thing, Scott. We don't. Um, which is sad. And there is a lot of us like us. There's not just us four. There's there's countless others, but mm. still our voice tends to get knocked to the side. Mm. I need to ask a question on a completely different subject, right? but modern football and annoyance are pretty of mine. Who actually likes the XG start? They may go one. Expected goals. Oh, is that oh, what God. I didn't even know oh, what it stood God, no. for? And no. I don't. There's a, there's a there's a second side no. to that, and that is people making out you you're some old-fashioned Neanderthal if you refuse to embrace it. And I'm not. I just I like no. actual I like I actual goals. Well. I love stats. I'm like, but that one for me. Was me. There, there there is I think fundamentally there will be a use for it somewhere down the line for a fit for a football team, right? Totally get I think, it. I think clubs but as yes, yes. As analysis. Yeah. Up up to a point, yes. But I think general chit chat, Twitter, football writers, I think certain football writers especially get absolutely obsessed with it. Mm. And the thing about chances is and I've always I've always said this, I've always thought this. The thing about playing football the, the chance, the only person, the only, the only person who really knows sometimes why they've missed a chance is the person who's missed a chance. Sometimes it's not easily accessible to somebody to watch in a monitor and see how fast that ball's going, mm. where that person's judging that ball to be going, a bobble in the pitch. So many different factors that come into it. Yet somebody will look at the stat and go, right, well, you know, he's he's not very good. He finishing. should have scored that point three of the time. Yeah, and it's like, well, and, and it's the other thing is, he didn't, so let's move on. You know, you're mm-hmm. not actually winning anything out of that. The, you know, you can't teach that person how to finish based on that stat, especially if something happens that's out with their control. And it's like, oh, that, that it was, it's always been the case. I've always hated it when people say, that's a sitter, without actually analysing what's went through that, you know, if that was both been played behind that person, then it's not a sitter. If that both been played too too fast, it, it becomes you know, it doesn't become a sitter because, you know, you have to have a bit of control and you can't just hit it because if you hit it, it's going to go over the bar and there's all, all these different frequencies that just, yeah, that particular yeah. start drives and, me. And we can no agree in Scotland though, a sitter 
is a Van Dawson or whatever. Wouldn't it? <laughs> it's not a sitter. Uh, I don't know if back. people outside of Scotland would know about Van Borsen, but that was the one. Uh, if, you're, if you're taking that down south, Daniel will say it's a Ronnie Rosenthal. Ronnie Rosenthal. Ronnie Rosenthal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Villa yeah. Park. Beautiful. The Ronnie, Rosenthal one, the Ronnie Rosenthal one is slightly more bizarre because he actually took another touch. So he controlled yeah. it in any, he still managed to miss. I still can't really work. I think Van Vossen hit it first time, although he should still have scored. It was a, a it looked like a perfectly weighted pass from Alberts. Um, but you know, I always give somebody a wee bit more if it's they've hit it first time than if they've actually controlled it, and it actually seems easier to hit the net than was what it, he did. Did was that the same night Ronnie Rosenthal actually still scored a hat trick though? Yeah, I thought I think yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the same game that he scored a hat trick for? Yeah, I think they won four two, didn't they? Liverpool um, might be making that up, but yeah, yeah possibly. Yeah, I remember him scoring the hat trick. Was it was it against Villa? Was that? Yeah, yeah. Green, uh, green kit, the green kit. Well, I might be wrong. Don't know. <laughs> nobody, nobody really remembers. That's the thing. No, no. <laughs> really remembers that they just missed the, the miss. I'm no, on he the... For, no, he played for Spurs at the time when he scored a hat trick. Oh, against Southampton. That's why they don't remember. Yeah. I, my fourth, my fourth official has said uh, I've only a few minutes left because I can hear that my daughter. This is the, the yeah, excitement no of home podcasting. I can hear that my daughter <laughs> won't go to bed unless I do it. I can hear. Luckily, you probably can't hear the no. stramash, my favourite word going <laughs> on in the background. So the fourth official has indicated minutes. that. Yeah. <laughs> right, we'll finish off then with some very, very quick fire questions. Then we'll, we'll save the other stuff for when you're back on, and hopefully again in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, favourite memory as a Middlesbrough fan, just briefly? Oh, that'll be a different answer every time, but I'll have to say, and it didn't end well, but 1997 when we took the lead at Wembley in the Coca-Cola Cup final in the 106th minute against Leicester, I've never felt happier in my life, whoops, they can't hear that, um, than, than <laughs> when, that, when that goal went in, Ravenelli Napo smashed it in, ran the length of Wembley and just tearful, we were going to win a trophy at last after 100 years, 120 years <laughs> waiting. That was just the happiest I can remember in a moment, you know, a, a moment that didn't last long because they equalised shortly afterwards for a, one of, a debate. One of my most, one of my most um, de- deflating moments in my life, Daniel, is one of your teams, as, as Middlesbrough, Chesterfield, FA Cup semi-final, Old Trafford, Sean Deitch. Yeah. Um, Kevin Davis and uh, God, I hated your team that day. Jamie, Jamie, <laughs> Jamie Hewitt with the equaliser. Yeah, the whole of the country was supporting Chesterfield. Uh, we, what medals were? We were. I was behind the goal for that. That's just a week. That's just a week after my favourite memory. Yeah, that was a heart-stopping day. God. And uh, Sean, at least Sean Dyche is not a very bitter person. No. That's good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but. We'll get you back on. We'll ask you all the other questions that we went to ask you, but we'll let you go for an early bath. We'll let you get going. Oh, thank you. I'd love to come back on. Sorry. I, it's, a, it's been a long day of homeschooling, as some listeners will be familiar with that concept. <laughs> no, no, it was brilliant having you on. Yeah. I would definitely oh, thanks. Yeah. get you back on again. Yeah, that would be good. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you all. And yeah, you too. Take care, Daniel. Yeah, take care. Cheers. Cheers, take Daniel. Daniel. See you. We'll only maybe touch on the rest of the action in terms of Scottish football. Is there even much to kind of go over? Uh, Rangers, the titles. 
Done, isn't it? it was done. Yeah, it's what twenty one points with Celtic get three games in the hand, so yeah, like that. Yeah, so that Dubai thing's just killed Celtic. That's there's no there's certainly no way back now. I don't think. Yeah, a bizarre situation that we knew had consequences probably when. It got oh, well said. It. Then, the whole world uh, said it before it happened. How it got accepted, regardless of whether it was a government or the club or whatever, but a combination. The thing is, right, so people people will go on about the government accepted it and this, that, next thing. What the government, what the Scottish government did not accept was that Celtic players would be at a swimming pool with regular punters having pints of beer. That, you know, that's not a form of a bubble, that's not socially distancing, that's not warm weather training, and that's why the Scottish government are pissed off at Celtic. Yeah, it'll help Kilmarnock and St Mirren over there. Case. Yeah, and you know, I, I always thought that was ludicrous how they get dealt with as well. And now the SFA and the SPFL have to think, oh no, we can't do that to Celtic, so yeah. let's work out something different. You and still wonder when that's going to all get decided, what's happening, but you'd think hopefully sometime soon. Well, uh, they've got that week now that the Scottish Cup has been kind of postponed, yeah. is it not? So maybe they can at least figure one game in there. I will see what happens. Aside from that, though, Livingston continuing to fly high. Unbelievable. Yeah, they're probably uh, heading for second place. Like, <laughs> keep run going. <laughs> Europe, Europe certainly seems like a good shout for them, I think. Um, with that. Well, to be fair, Martindale, I mean, he's, he's not done anything wrong so far. And he clearly has the, the ear of the players um, and that they are responding to him. So, yeah, it's... Is it eight wins in his first eight games? Yeah, what was the stat earlier that he's only a guy along with, was it John Neal and Burley that have won the first eight? I think it was maybe someone else, Lennon, maybe in his first spell at Celtic, or second spell, must have been. Give it to us, um, scoot up the group chat and find out. I remember, because I said, mentioned it, and I'd actually got a Twitter notification from SPFL Stats as well at the same time. I think it's O'Neill, Martindale, somebody. Um, uh, so, yeah, here we yeah, go. Oh, oh, first eight in all competitions, I've actually only O'Neill and Burlick in March, which is un- unbelievable for a team like Livingston. And yeah, it's good to see them doing well. The, the Brophy situation, interesting. Good Obviously, move to St Mirren. Well, yeah. free contract. Yeah. Then Dyer says, well, you're not playing for us anymore. You can't be training, that's it. Happened, um, and I actually never had realised until I think, I, I maybe turned on the highlights and the boy said to me, oh, do you know, know that Brophy's joined on loan for the rest of the season? I didn't even realise because I'd not seen it on the BBC website or anywhere. It makes, to be honest, it makes total sense. Why, you know, come on. I think... He hasn't done it in the last, what, season and a half. He's obviously decided to go elsewhere. I don't think his future lies in Kilmarnock. So why not start early? Why not have them paying his wage or whatever? And um, I just, you know, hopefully the, the incentive for him is to kick on and get in, try to get back into that Scotland squad for Euro 2020. But I still think that they, they lack enough goals. I don't think he's actually going to be the person that changes that. I suppose the, the one thing, I think he's, much as he's been in the Scotland squad previously, I don't think he's quite at that level. Um, I mean, at the moment, you would question whether he's even the level of the Premiership at the moment with his goals tally, but 
potentially, we've said for it's admitting it'll be kind need someone to play with or someone that's going to help them out. Could the they possibly about, end up being a partnership? But, but they much muchness, both hard working, not scoring enough goals. I think it'll be because um, a bit more physical. I think you'll get a bit more maybe movement out of Brophy. So I like I like Brophy. I think he's I, I think he's decent. There's Samarin's got they've got a player there if if he obviously comes back and but it was like a couple of years ago. Um, I, I like him. In Scotland, to be fair, Scotland are flushed for strikers, and Steve Clark does trust them. So does I feel nice about those the guy that's the if I was to pick a striker that's not but squad. I agree with you, but if I'm Brothy, I'm thinking I can get myself back into that squad. Oh, I'll definitely well, think it, but I don't, I don't think it'll But be it has to then prove it by team. actually doing something. Um, Motherwell, we spoke about well, Andy and me spoke about the Motherwell situation last week. Uh, obviously, Graham Alexander getting the job seems like a good fit. Yeah, I think it. Liked way he did it Fleetwood and I liked way he did it Salford. Um, can't really remember. Uh, Spud thought too much. Um, I think Liam Kelly is a good sign, and and I think you know I, I, I'd imagine that they'll start climbing the table. Yeah, it seems like a match made in heaven though, because by all accounts, from reading about this time at Fleetwood, Scunthorpe, Salford, he's hard to beat, resilient, a bit like probably what it was like as a player, um, yeah. and obviously he's moved to the Steelmen, so. Aye, his big task, obviously, as we mentioned last week, is keeping it all the likes of Campbell and Gallagher this window. Rumours that Declan Gallagher for Celtic. Aye, I'd heard that one. Yeah. yeah. I think some English clubs in the Championship as well are interested. It would just be whether they see the value of selling them compared to the value of potentially staying up. I mean, that's the, well, the difference. A target in mind for bringing in to replace them as well. Um, I think I, we're not going to really have a, a lower league uh, game for a while so I don't know what we're going to do with that with Ali Graham no, I sadly uh, no it's maybe a good thing seeing as we're getting gobbed uh, such three just now but I will see what happens with that yeah you've let us all down two years yeah. <laughs> well yeah well um, I started uh, off I lost the first one so I set tone um, I think well I've had a loss and a draw because I've gone twice so a draw was alright um, but yeah, bizarre, crazy times. But hopefully, it's just a three week suspension at all leagues and they get back going. Fingers crossed. Well, that, I yeah, think, I, don't, I don't know. Well, I, I can see it going a lot longer yeah. than three weeks. Yeah, well, my concern, Sadly. as I was saying earlier, was about the fact that we could go into that season and it may be all right at the top level that they're going to allow fans in, but. Over the way approaching the west of Scotland that season and saying our fans still not allowed in. Yeah, no. Because I'd be the clubs that have obviously sat out this year, would they just do the same again? I don't know whether that could be, be possible, but um, yeah, positive some tonight though. That was good talking about nostalgia, a wee bit different. Hopefully, the listeners enjoyed it because um, that was a Scottish football forum, but when we got Daniel on, um, we wanted to take a slightly different approach and we've been trying to do that recently as opposed to maybe talking about the, the football where everyone and his dog's got an opinion about the weekend action and you're listening in the sports scene. So <laughs> I hope. I've enjoyed it. Anyway. Yeah, I did as well. I, it, was, it was nice to... I'm always one for nostalgia and looking back. 
Um, Daniel's obviously one of the best in the business, obviously, with his books. So it was good. Really enjoyed that. And we're all football geeks, member. We've got the badge. Yeah, that's the book I was talking about. I just picked up there when I was coming back to the toilet. Northern Goal. Uh, I was talking about earlier on. 40 years, nine clubs, 12 winning stories from the FA Vaz. You do know you're holding this up as if you're getting filmed. It's audio. I, so it's... I, I did the same earlier with Daniel's most recent book. Um, and no, no one even no, mentioned right. it. I was like trying to hold it up to like, so oh. like, look here, I've got it, and even it, though he knows because he signed it and everything like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got, I, I feel we just scratch the surface as well in terms of what I've got. I've got, got, got Daniel as well. I've got a snapshot here, but I just didn't want to lift it in front of just, just to go, oh, look at that. How did you not mention it? Uh, as well, but yeah. I I go mention it. I've not got it yet. I've, I've not I've, I've not seen I've, it, but it's definitely on my list. I've not read it. I've just I've got it. I've not just got it. I'll do it now so you all know now. <laughs> here we there go. You go. There we go. There you go. I've, I've, not, I've, I've just read uh, Marco Van Basten's autobiography. Is that um is that the uh, Aye, very good. Is that the football shirt uh, guy on Twitter that you've got the port shirt on, Scott? Aye, uh, yeah, it's uh, stadiums, the football stadiums. Aye, football stadiums. Yeah, aye. Aye. aye, he's he's quite good there. And I, I knew I could only see the top there and I could see Pollock and Newlands Field Park. Brilliant. Like it. That was something I actually wanted to, wanted to mention when Daniel was on. He got a bit in every book about talking about football grounds near supermarkets or different things like that. And Pollock, obviously. Right beside Morrison, I remember the first time going and uh, my father-in-law's dad, and we took him for his shopping afterwards after the game. Because at times, I've never oh, had experience going for my shopping after a football game. <laughs> I think Morrison's gets a wee trade after that. I think they do, <laughs> aye. Either that or they get loads of folk going in using the toilets. Aye, well that could happen as well, aye. Uh, spend a penny. <laughs> Talking about toilets and being uh, nostalgic, I remember going to the old main stand at uh, Tynecastle, right? And it was, I know exactly. That's a story you can share on the podcast. Yes, yep, yep. Right, okay. So it's that involved in a toilet. It's, it does involve being in a toilet, but there's no floaters in it. Now, so this was the first time I'd been in the old stand, at, uh, old main stand at uh, Tynecastle, and it was just after Romanov had left and they were trying to garner support. For for money from people and stuff like that, right? To save the football club, so I bought a ticket to go and see them play in St Mirren. I needed the toilet before the game, right? And there was this sign toilet, and this is how old this particular stand was. You walk in one door, there's now just one single toilet, like a Victorian style toilet. And then there's another door. I think I think you must have to walk in one and walk out the other. But it's like the size of you two hold your arms out and they're both unlocked. So it's the strangest toilet experience I've ever been at football ground. You're having to try and hold the doors and do the toilet and everything else at the same time. It was uh, very... I, I don't know if I'm glad you shared that story or not, to be honest. <laughs> Well, now everybody knows. That's maybe one you can have kept was... after the podcast. <laughs> everybody knows that uh, Tynecastle used to have... Uh, maybe it didn't. Maybe I, that the only person that ever found that toilet. The secret hole or something like that. Maybe if I walked out the other door, I would have went back in time. Back in oh, the you didn't up in Narnia. 
<laughs> yeah, felt like it sometimes at Tate Castle. Felt like Narnia. Uh, aside from Daniel, and thanks to Daniel, um, thanks again to the few of you guys for coming on. No problem, and good to be back. No problem, yeah. We shall speak soon. It's been a great wee night. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Scott. Cheers, John. Thank <laughs> you.